0: We're going to be in Revelations chapter 3 again this morning. We're going to, um, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, I didn't get very far into the message last week, and so this week I'd like to pick up in the church of Sardis, the church of the living dead, part 2. The church of the living dead, part 2. Revelations chapter 3. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bible, you have the means, and you're able, please stand as we give reverence to reading the living and powerful Word of God. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God, or the fullness of the Holy Spirit, as I taught last week, I don't want to have to go back and reteach everything, but that's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he has the seven stars, or the pastors of this church, the messengers of these churches. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You can be seated. man. As I said before, we're going to continue our study in the church of Sardis. We're going to be um, picking up where we left off last week, uh, but just as a very small recap. I know some of y'all laugh when I say that, but it is going to be a small recap. Last week we saw that this church was the richest city in Asia Minor. This says where we um, have the saying that we get today. Some of you may have heard it before. It said, they, they say, well, that person's as rich as Croesus. Or they say, you are richer than Croesus. And it means that they're filthy re- rich or uh, just extremely wealthy. And this saying came from the king that resided in Sardis, King Croesus. And so we have this city here that... They had a river that ran through it that that it was full of gold and silver and so they had all the resources there to be the richest people in the country as far as as far as that country goes. And so this church we see it had a reputation for being alive but Jesus looked at it and said listen I know you got a reputation of being alive you got a lot of good ministries, a lot of good programs, you've got good Sunday schools and you're teaching and you're training and your are outreaches and you're doing a lot of good stuff. And the reputation, as the world sees it, says, man, that church has got it going on. They're alive. They're good. But Jesus looks at it and He sees a little deeper, the surface level, and He sees that actually they're dead. And this is a pretty serious message that we get from Jesus. Who wants to have the preacher stand up here and say, Oh, by the way, I've got a letter from Jesus today, Wells." And um, the first thing you need to know is, I know that everybody thinks you're alive, but i got news. You're dead. This is not a very nice introduction that we get here, but it is one that is very much needed because how many of you want to know that you're dead, if you're dead. I want to know that. I want somebody to show me that I am in a bad place. And so this is what Jesus is trying to do for these right here. In chapter 3 verse 2, we get the reason why they were dead. Namely, they were asleep. Namely, they had had gone to sleep. And Jesus said that the remedy for their deadness was that they needed to wake up. Now, you might remember from uh, last week that Matthew chapter 24 and 25, in those chapters right there, we saw where Jesus was um, exhorting His disciples to make sure that while He was gone, when He returned to heaven and during this time period where we were waiting for Him to come back, He said, be very careful that you don't go to sleep during this time. And this is the same Jesus that wrote these words in Revelation, the same Jesus that spoke the words in Matthew 24 and 25. And He told them, He said, Listen, if you want to be a good servant, then stay awake. If the owner of the house had known when the thief was coming, if he would known the hour he was coming, he would have stayed awake and he wouldn't have suffered the loss of all of his things. But because he was asleep, the thief broke in, He suffered loss. He says the the wise servant is the one that when the master comes back, he finds him fulfilling his master's wishes. But the foolish servant is the one that as his master is delayed, he begins to eat and drink and enjoy all the comforts in the world. And he begins to beat the servants instead of feeding the servants. And Jesus comes back and he cuts that wicked servant into pieces and casts him in the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He gives an example of five foolish virgins and five wise virgins that that were supposed to have oil in their lamps while they were waiting on their groom to come to marry them. And yet the foolish virgins didn't have enough oil. And then whenever the groom came back, they all woke up and, and they had went to sleep and the foolish virgins said, give us some of your oil because we're not going to have enough and they said, no, if we give you some of our oil, then we might not have enough. Go buy your own. And while those foolish virgins were out buying their oil, they came back. And whenever they came back, the groom had already come. The marriage has already taken place. And they knocked on the door and they said, Lord, Lord, open to us. And you remember what Jesus said? I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. And ultimately what we see is that they were not ready and they were not waiting on their master to come back. And so I could go on and on, but here's what you get. Staying awake and being awake according to Jesus is that we are living in light of His return. That every day that goes by we are expecting that today could be the day that He returns. And I am going to give an account as a steward of His. I'm going to give an account of all that He has left entrusted to me, of the ministry that He's given me, of being a light in the world of darkness. And yet, there are so many Christians that are going to sleep in the comforts of the world. And instead of living in light of their servant, they're eating and drinking and being merry and just living life. And they don't even realize that they have gone to sleep. And so they need it, according to verse 2, Here they needed to strengthen what remains and is about to die because their works were not complete in the sight of God. Another thing that we saw from last week is that uh, it's likely that this church had fell into the same place that Israel fell into and that all of God's children in this world will fall into if we don't stay awake. What I mean is that in Malachi... He actually tells us that the children of Israel had got to a place where they were bringing their worship. They were coming and they were bringing sacrifices. They were giving their time. They were coming to church. They were doing all their routine. And God said, you know what? Just don't even come. I wish somebody would shut the doors and not even let you into my house if all you can do is defile the table that you bring your sacrifices to. And they didn't even realize it. They said, how have we defiled you, God? We come to church, we give you our lambs, we give you our best. And he looked at me and said, listen, you bring me the lame and you bring me the sick animals. You don't bring me the best. You don't bring me the first. You bring me what is left over. You bring me what you don't want. You give the world everything else you have. And then you come to me and you say, okay, God, I'm here. Love me. And God said, I wish somebody would just shut the doors. Because my name will be praised and will be feared among all the nations. And so if you can't bring me your best, I don't accept second best. If you can't put me in first place, I don't take second place. And so it's very important that we understand that if they are going to wake up and strengthen what remains and have their works complete in the sight of God, then it's not going to be just that I come to Sunday school just because I have to get up and I'm supposed to come to Sunday school. It's not going to be because I come to church because we've always been raised in church and I guess if the family's going to be at church, we might as well be at church. It's not going to be because I have to sit here and it's good to hear the Word of God from a preacher and I'm going to try to keep my eyes open and I'm going to try my best to stay awake. And so 12 o'clock gets here, maybe he might be getting close to his first closing. Maybe. And so I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen to what he says. It's bringing God what is left over. God, You're not worthy of my best. You're not worthy of first place. You're worthy of what's left over. And so if I have any time left, once all my sports are done, and once all my kids' activities are done, once my fishing is done, once my deer hunting is done, once my golf game is done, if there's any time left over and I don't have any other plans for this day, then I will give you that because you deserve it. And you know what God says to that? I wish somebody would shut the door. I wish somebody would just shut the door. And you need to wake up and strengthen what remains because what remains is about to die. It's about to die. And your works are not complete in the sight of God. They actually said in Malachi, and I'm not going back to re-preach this, but they actually said in Malachi, they were saying it was a weariness to serve God. He wants our best. It's a weariness for us to have to get up and be here. It's a weariness for us to have to worship Him. And they snort at it, they said. They, literally, they just blew their nose at it. What a weariness. And this is the attitude that so many of us take on. And what's sad about it, church, listen to this closely. What's sad about it is they did not even recognize it. They honestly thought that I'm giving God what He deserves. And God had to come on the scene and say, wake up church, wake up. This is not what I deserve. This is not what service and worship to me looks like. This is what service and worship to the world looks like and then you giving me what's left over. And that dog won't hunt. So they had to strengthen what remains and is about to die because their works were not complete. And again, I believe the reason they weren't complete was because they weren't giving God their best. They weren't giving God what He deserved. They were giving God what is left over. And how many of you know that here in America, is that not what we are guilty of probably more than anything else? Guys, the reason I'm spending... Listen, I I love the way God works because my plan... My plan was to spend one week on two churches to try to get through these things because I have preached this before and most of you don't even remember it. My plan was to spend two, two churches in one week. Instead, God turned it around and He said, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to spend at least two weeks on one church. Because it is very likely that this is the, the, the biggest fear for the church in America. Because even though you may not be the richest, even though you may not be um, the richest there is in this building even, you are rich enough that you can invest your life into the things of this world and put God in second place. Or third, or fourth, or fifth, or whichever one He lines up in. And so I really believe that every one of us in here, this is one of our greatest temptations in the church, and I know that it is one of mine. I'm going to tell you again this week, just like I told you last week, as I preach this, these are some of the things that God has spoke to me about first. This ain't some preacher that thinks he's got it all together standing up here going, no, this is, this is a preacher that studied this, as I told you all last week, and I, as I was reading it, I said, get them, God, get them! And then I got down to this one spot and God said, I got you, didn't I? Yeah, you got me. You got me. The next in verse 3 of uh, Revelation chapter 3. Here's where we pick up from last week. They had forgotten what they had received and heard. Notice what he says in verse 3 right here. Remember then what you received and heard and keep it and repent. They had forgotten what they had received and heard. Listen, the gospel is the message that God's wrath is coming because of your rebellion against Him as God. The gospel is not good news unless you first recognize and hear the bad news. And you have forgotten what that bad news was. Or maybe you never heard it truly to begin with. Maybe the only thing you really heard was that if I don't have Jesus, I'm going to die and go to hell. But do you understand why? Do you understand what it means to be a sinner? Do you understand what it means to be a rebel against God and that every single one of us in this building fall under this category? Well, let me prove it to you and show you. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Look what he says. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against un- all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So the wrath of God is revealed. What does it mean to reveal something? It means you can see it, right? All you have to do is look around this world and you can see that the wrath of God is coming. And it's getting worse and worse and worse until one day it reaches its peak. The wrath of God is revealed and is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So men are holding something down that's truth. Let's figure out what it is. For what can be known about God is plain to them. So they're holding down what can be known about God because it's plain to them. How is it plain to them? Because God has shown it to them. Now go to verse 20. How has He shown it to us? For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, God's shown it to them, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." So here's the thing about it. You will never go to the Smoky Mountains and look at the mountains. You'll never walk out your door and watch a sunrise. You'll never stand in front of the Grand Canyon. You'll never stand in front of the ocean. You'll never sit on the creek bank or by the river or sit in a boat. You will never look at creation and have an excuse to say, God, I had no idea who you were. God said from the creation of the world, it's been clearly perceived. You've heard me use this example many times. Could I convince you today that no one built this building? Could I make you believe that this building just popped up? Nobody built it. There was no builder. Nothing happened. Everything in here of two by fours joined together. Sheetrock came up, pews came together with cushions and carpet and pulpit. No, your common sense tells you that when you look around here, you know that a builder exists because the building exists, right? Right. When you look at creation, you know the Creator exists because creation exists. And he says here that His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So we as human beings are suppressing the greatness of the Creator and we're holding down this truth of who He is even though we can look around and clearly see His eternal power, His divine nature, We can see it clearly, but we hold it down. Keep going with me. Don't fall asleep on me yet. For although they knew God, verse 21, for although they knew God, how they know God? The creation declared Him. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. They did not give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We refuse to honor Him. We refuse to give Him thanks for who He is. All right? Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. In other words, it looked like wisdom to not acknowledge Him. But we became fools. Keep going with me. And we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. In other words, we exchanged the glory of the Creator for the things that He created. And we said, we would rather have this than that. We would rather have this than you. You are our Creator. You made all this. But instead of honoring and glorifying you, we would rather have this. And we made a very dark exchange. You see that? Now let's keep going. Verse 24, Therefore... God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. God said, okay, those lusts and those desires that you have, they're impure. But if that's what you want, how many of you as parents know that sometimes when your children reach a certain age, sometimes you've got to say, okay, I've tried, but there ain't but one way that you're going to learn. And you have to learn the hard way, right? God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God. And the truth about God was that He is glorious, that He is all-powerful, that He is eternal, that He is divine. And they exchanged that truth about God for a lie. What was the lie? That the creation was better. That the creation deserved our worship and our honor and our thanks more than the Creator. And look what happened. Pay attention to this, please. And we worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Look what we did, guys, and look what we're still doing today. We worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. A dark exchange took place. Here's, here's something that you need to understand. You are a rebel against God because instead of recognizing who God is and what He is worthy of, you look at this creation and you say, God, I would rather have this than you. I would rather have your gifts than the giver. I would rather have your toys than the one who made them. And I'm going to give all my attention and all my focus to this instead of this. How would that make you feel as a father this morning? If all your children ever gave their attention to was the stuff that you give them. They never acknowledged you. They never thanked you. They never loved you. They never served you. They never did anything for you. The only thing they did is enjoyed all of your stuff. I'm going to tell you what God said about it. I don't play that. That's not the way it's going to go down. If you want it, I'm going to let you have it, but you're going to have the results of it too. You're going to have the consequences of it as well. This is the gospel message. The rebellion is that we won't honor God. We refuse to honor God. We refuse to worship Him for who He is. That's the rebellion. And it manifests itself. This rebellion comes out and shows itself in self-love, in worship of ourselves, in creation worship. That's the way it comes out. Now again, I'm not talking that that you have a car that you love and you bow down to it and you raise your hands to it and you sing to it. I'm not saying that that's the way you worship it. I'm saying you give your life to it. You give your life for these things. This is what takes priority in your life. House, cars, children, toys, uh, whatever this world has to offer. Sports, events, um, all the entertainments of this world. And that's what I give my life to. And then if all of that stuff is fulfilled as much as possible, I'm going to come and see you, God, because you're worthy. And God said, no you won't, because I'm going to have somebody just shut the doors. This is a very serious sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, All have sinned and fall short of what? Instead of recognizing His glory, living for His glory, worshiping His glory. See, it's not that we're not supposed to enjoy creation. The reason I'm re-preaching this this Sunday is because I don't want to leave the impression that you need to work harder, give more of your best, and you need to get in here and strive to do everything you can do. And if you work hard enough, and if you sell enough stuff, and you don't have anything but God, then you can be saved. That's That's not it. You've missed it completely. And I don't want to give that impression, so I want you to understand. It's not that God does not desire for us to enjoy His gifts. He gave those gifts to enjoy. The problem is we make them the priority. God is not the priority. God doesn't get our love. The gifts, those children. How many of you, how many of you have, have children? Do you remember the first time you looked at them? You remember the first time you held those children? You think about this. The very love that you felt, the honor, the the desire that you had for those children, that was meant to be a ray of sunshine that you follow up to the source of it. The gift was never meant to take your focus away from the giver. The gift was meant to show you how much the giver loves you. And yet we, instead of turning back to see that, we don't even follow the ray of sunshine back up to the source. We just look at the gift. And we invest everything into the gift. And he says here that that is a great sin. All have done this and fallen short of The glory of God. This is the gospel. They have forgotten what they received. They've forgotten what they heard. And now they've went back to the very thing that God called them out of. If you didn't get this to begin with, you didn't hear the core of the gospel. The core of the gospel is that we are rebels and sinners against God because we don't want God. We want everything else except God. And so now He calls us in the gospel and He says, world, listen to me. If that's the path you want to follow, here's the end of it. It's temporary and it ends in hell. But i got a better path for you. Repent. Confess. Turn away from it and see me for who I am. This is not God up here going, love me, love me, love me, please love me. God's not sitting on His throne just wringing His hands and I don't know what I'm going to do because they don't love me enough and they don't worship me the way that they ought to. No, God says this, I know who I am. I know what I deserve. I know what I created them for. And I know I created them to love them. And I know I created them for for them to enjoy me forever. But if they won't see it and they won't open their eyes then I've got a consequence for them. And you need to understand here that that's exactly what's going on. God offers you the opportunity to see your sin, to repent from it, and the gospel is that Jesus died and shed His blood so that the offense that you committed against God could be taken care of. And when you put your faith and your trust in that, God says, I will save you from your rebellion. But that saving comes with you throwing up your rebellious arms to go, God, I see what I've done. And I'm sorry because you are worthy. You are worth more than this stuff, than creation. And this does not deserve my honor and my service. You do. And that's the conversion that takes place. But they had forgotten this. They had forgotten what they received and they had forgotten what they heard in the gospel. And now here they are sitting in their security and their riches and their comfort and they're still serving. Remember, they had a reputation of being alive, right? That means that when the world looked at this church, they saw a lot of good things going on. This wasn't a dead church as far as wasn't nobody coming and and, and all the people had left and there was nobody left. No, this was probably a full house. And Jesus said, you're dead. And part of the reason you're dead is because you went to sleep. And part of the reason you're dead is because you have forgotten what you received and you have forgotten what you heard. Therefore, remember. Remember what you received and heard. The church at Sardis had likely become like the seed. Y'all remember the parable of the sower? There was four different souls that went on to One of the souls was thorny ground. The sower went out to sow his seed, and he threw his seed, and it went on thorny grounds, and it fell among the thorns. And it began to come up, but then the thorns choked it out so that it couldn't grow. And when Jesus described this parable, here's what He said. He said, the ones that received the seed on thorny ground are the ones that heard the Word, received it, and began to grow, but then the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choked out the Word. Instead of growing in this Word and growing in this surrender to God and growing in this honor and this service to Him, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choked it out. And now it's dead. And that's exactly what I believe has taken place in this church right here. And this is my fear for us. This is my fear for us. It's not that I believe that if we have some stuff and that if we don't sell it all today when we leave, then we're all going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if that is your life, if that is your priority, if that's what you worship and you serve, and you'll know it by... I'm just telling you right now, can I be a real preacher with you this morning? Can I? If that is your life, God help you. God help you because you will perish with all of your priorities. You'll perish with them. This is not genuine faith. Genuine faith will always move you in the direction of your hope. If you're taking notes, write that down. Genuine faith will always move you in the direction of your hope. Let me show you what I mean. Hebrews chapter 11 beginning in verse 1. We'll look at a few of them. Start with verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Here's what faith is. It means I have assurance. I know something, right? I know that this is going to take place. And faith is knowing the things that I hope for. And it is the conviction of things that I don't yet see. So here's what it is. God makes me a promise. And because God said it, I know it. That's good enough. That's it. It's a done deal. I don't have it right now, but I have the conviction of things unseen because I know who promised it. And I have assurance of what He's given me hope for. Let me give you an example of it. Hebrews 11 verse 7. Look at Noah. Because these are all faith people of faith. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, So what was the promise? I'm going to save you. I'm going to save your household, right? And what was the result? Constructed an ark in reverent fear. By this, He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Faith will always move you in the direction of your hope. What was the hope? Well, first off, wrath is coming. What am I going to do? I'm going to save you and your household. Now, build this ark. Genuine faith moves him in the direction to build the ark because it moves him in the direction of his hope. Ungenuine faith sits down and says, Thank you God that you're going to save me. I don't really feel like building an ark today and I'd rather do this and I have a lot of other stuff going on but thank you that you're full of mercy. Thank you that you're full of grace. Thank you that you forgive me. Thank you that I'm, I'm, I'm being saved. Thank you that, just thank you God. I'm just going to sit right here and you just save me God. And God says, you don't believe me because if you believed I was actually going to flood the world you know what you'd be doing? Genuine faith, let me say it again. Genuine faith will always move you in the direction of your hope. And if you are not, if your life is not moving in the direction of your hope, I'm sorry to tell you, but you don't have genuine faith and you will be a foolish virgin that knocks on the door. I don't care how many times you went to church. I don't care how many ministries you did. I don't care how many homeless people you built homes for. I don't care how many hungry people you fed. I, I don't care how many good things you did. If your faith is not genuine and in moving you in the direction of your hope, I'm telling you right now, you'll knock on the door one day and he'll say, Who are you? I'm sorry, I don't know you. Genuine faith will always move you in the direction of your hope. Let me give you a few other examples. I can't give you all of them, but I could go through the whole chapter of Hebrews 11 and show you example after example. Let me give you just a couple more. Um, Verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So what is the hope? I got an inheritance coming. God has promised me a city. God has promised me a home. God has promised me a place. And if God promised it, I got assurance, even though I don't see it. And so by faith, Abraham did what? He obeyed. He obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And look, and he went out not knowing where he was going. His faith moved him in the direction of his hope. Even though he didn't have it in his hands yet, even though all he had was the conviction of things unseen, his faith moved him in this hope. Go to verse 9 for me. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Keep going. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. What was Sarah's hope? God promised, right? And by faith, Sarah received power. Anybody know how old Sarah was? Even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Go to verse 12. Therefore from one man. Do you know how old Abraham was? Now I ain't trying to be funny this morning, but it is just a little bit funny. Do you know what kind of power it takes to receive in order for a 90-year-old woman and a man, look, keep reading, therefore from one, one man and him what? he ain't got nothing left to give brother and all he can do is say okay God (laughs) I know this what you said I don't know how this is going to take place but I tell you what we're going to do I'm going to stop right there because of the young ones in the room I tell you what we're going to do and it says here, Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. Faith will always move you in the direction of your hope. Would Sarah's faith have been genuine if she had said, Well, this has to be an immaculate conception because it ain't going to happen this way and they never got naked. Faith will always move you in the direction of your hope. Do you see this? I'm going to stop right there for lack of time. I'm not going to give any more. But genuine faith will always move you in the direction of your hope. This is why the language of those walking in true faith is different than our language. Listen to some of it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Listen to what he says Paul says but whatever gain i had i counted loss For the sake of Christ, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you hear that language? Paul said, what is his priority? What's Paul's priority? The gospel. That I can know Christ. My faith moves me in the direction of my hope. That's genuine faith. I hope you all see this this morning because many of you are not getting it, I know. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, listen to this. <clears throat> Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is what? with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides in Him forever. One more Scripture and then I'll be done. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt. Heavenly bodies are stars and planets is what he's talking about. They're going to melt. They will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. Do you hear the difference in the language of the person that's walking in genuine faith? Let me tell you the way the other language goes. You remember the parable of the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And he said, well, first off, why do you call me good? There's none good but one. So first off, this man needs to understand that no one is good, not even one. And then he tells him, he says, you know the commandments. Honor your mother and your father. Don't steal, don't kill. And and the rich young ruler says, well, sir, I've kept all that since I was a kid. I've done it all. And Jesus said, okay, one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And you know what happened? He walked away sad, sad. And Jesus said, it is so hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. And what He meant by that is this. There are so many people that are so caught up in the idolatry of the world that they don't even recognize their rebellion against God is still what it was from the very beginning. And we have to understand that the language of the one walking in genuine faith is the one that says, I'll count all things lost for the knowledge of Him. I know all this is passing away. I know all of this is coming to nothing. I know I may not even get to see the day of my retirement anyway. And so my priority is to know Him That's my priority. The rest of it, man, if I have it okay, if I don't, so what? He is my priority. There's a difference in the way this person moves. His genuine faith moves him in the direction of his hope. I hope you see that. I don't want to give you the impression that I'm teaching that you have to work as hard as you can and give the best and, and that if you, if you own a lot of things, then you can't be saved because that's not it. It's a heart issue. It's not about the things. It's a heart issue. It's about a mind issue, about what you see in what you look at. It's not an issue of owning things. Jesus told us... Um, In Luke chapter 17, he told us that the days when he comes back are going to be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And he says, in the days of Noah, people were building, planning, marrying, giving in marriage. They were eating, they were drinking until the day that the flood came and destroyed them all, took them all away. He said in the same way in the days of Lot, just like it was in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling. Now listen, is there anything wrong with this stuff? No, Absolutely not, right? He's not mentioning some great sin. He's not mentioning homosexuality or adultery or or not honoring mothers and fathers or murders or, or, or lying or stealing. He hasn't mentioned any of that. He says, they were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planning, they were building, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Here's what he's saying, and we're going to keep going. He's saying that the same way that people were so caught up in everyday life and it manifested itself in sins and desires of the flesh and all those things came out. All those things are true. But the root of this thing was they were so in love with the world that they weren't focused in worshiping and serving the one who made the world. So on that day... Let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. And here's the warning. Remember Lot's wife. You know why? Because she turned back. She exposed her heart and where it was. It wasn't an issue of goods in the house. It wasn't an issue of whether or not they should have had things or not had things. It was an issue of the heart. And she exposed her heart when she was on her way out. God was destroying all this. And she's supposed to be saved going on her way out. But on her way out as the fire fell, she went. Because she loved this world so much. And it exposed that her heart was not in love with the one who made it. Her heart was still in love with the things of this world. And guys, can I tell you that that's our heart? Every one of us, that's our heart. And the warning that Jesus gives, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Boy, I I don't think I can get any clearer than this, can I? I mean, this is so cut and dry. And yet, there will still be so many of us that will walk out of here today and the world will still be our number one. Our children will still be our number one. Our things will still be our number one. Our jobs will still be our number one. Everything in this world will still be our number one. And we won't heed the warning to remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. It's a heart issue. Remember Lot's wife. Here's the warning. Go back to Revelation chapter 3. We're closing up. Here's the warning in Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. He said, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. In other words, if you will not open your eyes and see God as the only one worthy of all your love, honor, and worship, if you will not worship and serve the Creator rather than creation, if you will not see the kingdom of God and laying up treasures there is worth more than this earthly kingdom and anything you build here, if you will not give Him your best and live serving, if you will not have a heart that desires this, He says, I am going to come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. This is very important because what will happen is you will prove that your faith was not genuine. You will prove that you did not see your sin, that you did not surrender your rebellion, but you continued in that rebellion. You loved that rebellion and you worshipped and served that rebellion. You will be like the man who had his house broken into and the thief stole it all. Matthew 24 verse 43. You will be like the servant who was wicked and, uh, and Jesus came back and, and cut him into pieces and threw him into place where there were weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 24, verse 50 through 51. You'll be like the foolish virgins waiting on their groom, but they got back and knocked on the door and he didn't know them. Matthew 25, verse 11. You'll be like the servant that was given one talent, but hid it in the ground instead of serving his master with it. And he comes back. And he has him cut in pieces and thrown into outer darkness. Matthew 25, verse 28 through 30. I want to read one last scripture, and I promise this is my closing. That's what you've got left, all right? Listen to Luke chapter 12, verse 35 through 40. Stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning. Keep going, brother. Do y'all see that? But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So finally, the reward. Revelations chapter 3, the end. He says, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they're going to walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, He says here, I'm going to clothe you in the righteousness of Christ if you conquer. If you conquer, I'm going to clothe you in the righteousness of Christ and I will never blot His name out of the book of life. You know why? You know why His name will never be blotted out? Because it can't be. You know why it can't be? Because His faith is genuine. Because He has proven. His faith has been tested, tried, weighed, and it is found to be true. True and His name will never be blotted out of the book of life. I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.